Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford, and I love our military. I have the distinguished privilege of being with Dr. Steve West. He is career military, serving from the age of 18 to 59, 40 years and eight months serving in the military in various roles and capacities, during which time he received the Bronze Star for the 2007-2000 surge in Iraq. He served as the chaplain for the White House Communications Agency. And during his 26 years serving as a military chaplain, three years, he was the chaplain for the chairman for the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Pentagon which he has informed me the chairman is the highest military official in uniform, and we want to hear more about that. And during his service, Steve has been awarded with distinguished honors, and it is our incredible privilege to have you as our guest today talking about PTSD, how we can understand it and recognize it in ourselves and our loved ones and what we can do about it. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Dr. Crawford. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, it's it's really our our privilege. I'm so excited. So what was that like serving the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? And what what is that for those lay people out there that don't know how big of a deal that is? Well, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, of course, as chairman, he or she is the one that is the highest military official. So in other words, he works with the other leaders, the other chiefs of staff for the services, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, all of it. And so being there, I, people ask me that question, what was it like? It, one, it's very humbling. You're around some of the best people in the world in the military air area so every day it's a, like you have to pitch yourself i i tell people a lot of times that being there and being in meetings with the chairman and the other chiefs of staff uh meant being the fly on the wall i had to hear so many things i got to be a part of so many things and yet they didn't really notice i was there so much i didn't say a lot I just listened to what was going on. Wow. What an honor to be a chaplain and advisor to the Joint Chief of Staff. That's incredible. And you. in your time, what were some of your own experiences of being exposed to violent things, traumatic things, loss, and even vicarious trauma, which we'll unpack more later? Yeah, I could tell you some about trauma. One of those situations that this will be the first time that I've talked about this in an interview, but this is what the Lord laid on my heart. I was in Iraq. We had the largest trauma center in Iraq, and we were there during the surge. And so there were so many things happening as far as deaths and injuries. Uh, I was in the trauma center one day. I responded to a Marine that was critically injured. I came up to the gurney and positioned myself really on the right side. The medical personnel could work on the other side and I could see immediately how terrified he was 
just looking in his eyes. He was in significant pain and the fear factor, you know, you can see it when someone is just overcome with fear. That's where he was. And, and I don't blame him. I was there to comfort him while the medical staff tried to treat his wounds. And as you can imagine, it, it was a chaotic scene as it was so many times to try to stabilize someone who was wounded so badly. I could tell that his wounds were pretty close to life-threatening. And I just wanted to be there to help take his focus off of what was going on around him medically and, and all that pain and that fear that was going on with him. And so I told him I was the chaplain and he immediately asked me to pray. So while they were working on him, I prayed a prayer. And then something happened, Dr. Crawford, that affected me and still affects me to today. After I prayed, he reached up, grabbed me by my uniform blouse. In other words, he just had hold of me. His eyes were really wild. He was screaming in pain. And he said, Chaplain, don't let me die. And I said something along the lines, you know, uh, this is a great group of people. They know exactly what they're doing and they're doing everything they can for you. And then he pulled me closer and he said, this time, Chapman promised me I won't die. At that moment, I made a terrible mistake because of my pain for him and wanting him not to be terrified. I said, you're not going to die. We won't let you die. I shouldn't have said that. But just as I did and said that, seconds later, he let go and went out and they tried to resuscitate him, but there was nothing they could do. And that haunts me even now. I didn't just say, we're going to do everything we can. I don't get a duo for what happened there. And I know that even though I shouldn't have said those things, that I was trying to minister to him, but it doesn't sound like something that I should have done and no, I should, should not have done. A moment later, he died. And so it's the last interaction that anyone had with him. That's heavy. It's, it's one of those difficult things. And I'm sure that's just one of many really painful experiences. And it sounds like the surge in Iraq. What was the experience that led up to that Bronze Star? Well, Bronze Star is supposedly given for exemplary service in, in a war zone in battle. Mm -hmm. it's as you know it it's so thought of so highly mm -hmm. that when it ended up that that's what they gave me it was like no there's a lot of people who had it worse than i did mm. this is no but that doesn't stop them from doing what they're going to do it was a wonderful honor mm. and you know the greatest thing is i talk about being humbled that was probably the most humbling thing as far as recognition i've mm. ever had in my life but it came with a price yeah there were scars from that mm, which leads into the title of your book the bronze scar what was that journey of writing that book well it's interesting you should ask because when i finally did write the book it took me three years yeah. I, I couldn't just go I, I would do some and i would have to stop for days yeah because what it did was stirred up things in me as i talk about each yeah. symptom 
and how it feels and what's going on in your head when you have some inappropriate behavior. You know, when you have those things, it's important to know. And that's one thing that loved ones usually can't know. They can't walk a mile in your shoes. They can be there mm-hmm. and be a great support. And believe me, if you have that, you are in a place where healing is so much easier. I applaud those who live with people who have PTSD because it's a burden for them to carry. They're victims every day. But I wanted them to know how it feels because when when I looked at all the uh, places on the internet, books and in bookstore things, there's thousands of books written on some kind of angle with PTSD. Mm-hmm. But I didn't find one that talked about this is how it feels. Yeah. This is going on. This is what, when I isolate, when we get angry for no reason, mm-hmm. when we do things that are inappropriate, what's going on inside? What were you thinking? And so hopefully that helps those who live with them understand a little bit more. It doesn't mean they condone it, but at least they get a a window into the heart of the person they love. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's incredible because you're both professionally trained counseling, psychology, you have degrees on the understanding of PTSD, and then you have the military 40 years plus eight months of serving in various frontline capacities. You've been a policeman, you've been um, EMT, I think you said, um, chaplain, joint chiefs of staff, you've served in all these places, surgeon Iraq, and you are the guy who helps people. You are the professional, the go-to, you're the one. What was that like for you to start recognizing PTSD in yourself if you did? And what was that like? Well, one of the dangers about having knowledge of something that's going on with you, kind of like physician heal thyself, (laughs) we can see all these problems in other people. And and actually, over the years, I had helped a number of people to be able to walk through what's going on with their PTSD and their families and things. So I help people. Yeah. And, and when it came to my having something going on, but one of the hardest things to do is see things in yourself. And if you're a mental health professional in some way, then what happens is you, you see it in everybody else, mm-hmm. but you rationalize it in you. Yeah. I said, oh, it's just the stress of my job here and Oh, I'm just tired and things like that. My wife and daughter was saying, since you came back from this deployment to Iraq, you're not the same person. And a lot of that is not good. Mm. And we try to find anything to do to not admit that we have something like this. Who wants to admit that they have a disorder? No. No. Denial. Thank God they kept after me for three years and when I finally did get help it was while I was with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff what you say there is oh I'm a chaplain I help other people I Mm -hmm. oh no I don't have this I know what the signs are I know what DSM says I I get that and so also the fact that that was a very high visible position Mm -hmm. 
So pride gets in the way too. And you say, oh, they can't see that in me. That'll be a weakness. And, and then they'll think he shouldn't even be here. Yeah. I've but, seen that so often. I've worked with oh, yeah. FBI agents, policemen, firemen. Um, gosh, it's so like even secret service one time and every time that belief that it will undermine me they won't see me as credible um that fear and shame really keeps things locked in and then symptoms get worse instead of actually being treated and getting better and so that can actually undermine more because often we're drinking too much we're self-medicating in one way or another a lot of people step outside of their romantic relationship for comfort because they feel like their partner doesn't know that part of them so they're looking for comfort somewhere else um, and it's just undermining and unraveling our lives if we don't take the time to recognize hey i may be the smart one who helps everyone else even yeah. me as a psychologist, I may know the things, but I sure better be doing uh, my own work so that my own foundation is not crumbling under my feet. Absolutely. You hit the nail. That's exactly how it is. And so we figure out ways not to have something. Yes. And, and actually, when I did go to get help, I didn't tell them I was. I just went for one purpose. I'll let the psychiatrist talk to me. Uh, we'll get it all figured out. I'll get, I'll get the psychiatrist to send me something that I can take back home that says he doesn't have PTSD. Yes. I really believe with all my heart, that's what I was going to get. But yeah. you know, the very first time I, I saw him and I said, I have a background in this, so I'll be very transparent with you. I'll answer any question you want. And I know how it is to have someone mislead you when you're trying to counsel them and trying to help them. And so I did that. At the end of the session, I started getting up and uh, I said, one down, two to go, because they required three times. And then they would either diagnose or you wouldn't be diagnosed. Mm. When I said that kind of flippantly, he said, oh no. He said, I, I, I've never done this, mm. but I'm going to diagnose you today. Mm. It is that evident. Wow. And my world came crashing. Wow. How, Lord? Mm -hmm. This can't be, but it was. Yeah. And in people's lives that have PTSD, a lot of them, are actually denying it. People with PTSD themselves, mm -hmm. normal, regular people, the person you see in the street, a friend or our family, a lot of them won't accept that they have PTSD. And yeah. so hopefully the book helps some of them see it. And of course, helps their families too. And that's my prayer. So what are some of the things that your family saw in you that started to kind of be some signals that they brought it up to you? And also we applaud your family. If you're a family member listening to this, yes. a friend, a loved one, um, it is better to say something. And I know there's that fear that they're going to bite your head off, that they're going to get offended and mad and upset. And that is possible. And we'll talk about delivery <laughs> and timing. Um, but yeah. what were some of those things that your family saw pointed out and brought to your attention? One thing is your my wife was with me all the time. The symptoms that she noticed 
were things like isolation. I'm a people person. For me not to be with people, but with PTSD, I need to back off. I'm not as outgoing when I'm talking to people as I used to be. The anger, for no reason, Dr. Crawford, you know, things that shouldn't matter at all. I mean, minute things, and I would get angry at those things. And again, I was blaming it on my schedule and on these other things. Exactly. But my wife saw it. The fact that I was having nightmares and mm-hmm. had a hard time sleeping. She saw those things. She saw when, whenever I would show my PTSD in an inappropriate way, snapping at her. A lot of families will see that. Just the being down and the snapping, uh, yeah. the being angry. One thing is being so hypervigilant. In other words, all you're doing is looking around all the time to make sure there's not any kind of threat, not so much a military threat, but someone who poses a threat to you. So these are the kind of things families see, and it just changes a lot of times their personalities. Yes. Like I said. So if someone's listening right now, you might reflect and say, whether me or someone I love, are there personality changes, irritability, anger, mood changes, social isolation and withdrawal, sleep issues, weight gain changes, uh, appetite changes, and hedonia is also a symptom, which just means lack of pleasure in things you used to enjoy. So if things feel dead, lifeless, bland, depressing, um, and then you're snappy and irritable, think of it like the base of your brain, that hind brain, very deep inside, the amygdala is the fire alarm. And so the amygdala is hijacking and taking all resources away from joy, laughter, spontaneity, energy, drive to get a new job or to do finances or exercise. All of that is just exhausting and depleting because that amygdala is sending out signals, releasing that cortisol stress response. The adrenals are getting fatigued. And so in adrenal fatigue, now it's just like, I literally want to do nothing. And you'll also find people really craving alcohol, sugar, and simple carbs because it's a quick way to get glycemic index. And so it's a fast energy source when people are so depleted. And many times we try to solve that through willpower. I'm a strong person. I'm a smart person like Dr. West. He's educated. He's helped hundreds of people, if not thousands with the exact same condition. And we all have blind spots where I don't see it in myself. And now for you to recognize, man, I've been, I've had memory problems. I've had less drive, less motivation. Um, I've been isolating more. I've been more irritable while blaming it on my schedule. Actually, my own inner world is not well. It is not well with my soul. There's something that needs to be resolved. And the more that we whack-a-mole and suppress things, the more it's not being resolved. And it actually intensifies like a forest fire 
backfire. PTSD gets worse, not better with time. Uh, time does not heal all wounds, people. And right. so, Dr. West, what was that journey like of hearing, oh my gosh, my wife, my daughter have been telling me this. I didn't want to hear it for three solid years. This patient loving family has been walking with you with some irritable mood and anger. Um, and now you're walking this out going, okay, I have been diagnosed with PTSD. What happens next? The first thing that hit me when I was sitting there, even before I left, all of a sudden the shame mm. that hit me. I was ashamed for many reasons. I was saying, I shouldn't have this. Right. I thought it was something else. I really did. But it doesn't take long for it to hit you that, oh my gosh, yeah. what have I been putting the people that I love through? Mm. What have they had to endure? And they did. I, I also felt like a failure. Look, you have PTSD. I love that you're bringing this up because I think so many of us stay in denial because there's this faulty thinking or a cognitive distortion, fancy term. It just means the way that we're thinking about something is illusionary. It's not real. That right. to say, because I have a broken leg doesn't mean I have lack of faith. Just yeah. like if I have PTSD, doesn't mean I have lack of faith. It means I'm a finite being. And just because you can't see the bruise or the break on the outside, that's just physiology. Your brain, your soul can have breaks. They can have trauma states. And that's not lack of faith. It doesn't mean you're not strong or powerful or um, resilient or a good person. It just means you're in a broken and a fallen world. So first, I love that you're bringing out this common experience so many of us have of somehow that means a weakness like this character assassinating that I'm lacking faith I'm not a strong person and all of these uh, cognitive distortions and so what did you do next what helped you overcome that now that I was aware that I could get help there you go so the help the loved ones provided was supporting me not understanding me, but being aware of themselves that now at least I was at a place where I would admit it. And on the professional side, I immediately set up to keep seeing the psychologists and psychiatrists, which yeah. provided more help than I could ever, ever imagine. Yay, and therapy. So, yes, absolutely. And the thing about it is it's important and to continue that professional seeing the psychiatrist seeing the psychologist the team mm -hmm. the social worker i continually have to do that okay so i love how your family was able to support you you had the therapy team psychiatrist social worker you had this whole team around you you had the family support and I just want to encourage those family members. One, this is not therapy, psychology advice. This is one person's story who's just bravely sharing. We hope you get his book, The Bronze Scar, representing the bronze star, but the scar that it came from. And I want to encourage those that are on the fence that therapy really is worth it, that you can stay in a place of misalignment. Like if your hip was out of alignment and you walked crooked, that would have a ripple effect in every part of your body. But there's research about post-traumatic growth that you don't have to stay where you are. You can actually gain more ground than before the trauma happened 
if you're with the right team. We want you to know that you are valuable to us. You are an asset to your family. We want you to fulfill the call on your life, live with purpose and not allow trauma to flatten and suppress you. You have so much more ahead of you. And if you ever need therapy or executive coaching, we would love to be a resource at Crawford Clinics. Thank you so much, Dr. Steve West for being our guest today. And I hope people get your book and families can understand what their loved ones are going through. And even the survivor themselves might recognize, oh my gosh, that is me. And now I can take that first step toward getting help. Thank yeah. you. And we love you guys. We'll see you for the next episode. Bye. Thank you.